0: The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book and print cultures. stamping. Problems. You are
1: listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Longmore Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. The Hub is a space. Celebrating tenures through the community. Created by the world's The Hub is about impact.
0: 90%. The Hub is for everyone.
1: Welcome everyone to uh, to today's uh Seminar in the Center for Early Modern History Research Seminar Series. Um, we're delighted to uh, welcome uh, Mr. David Briscoe uh, to speak to us today. David is an IRC-funded PhD student in history in, in the Department of History here in Trinity. And he's <coughs> working on a project on poverty, poor relief, and community in 18th century France, and uh, this uh, this topic, uh, this paper he's going to give us today, draws on that uh, that dissertation. Um, now, as, as normal, um, there'll be an opportunity for a, a QA and a at the end of the, at the end of David's paper, and so if you want to, if you want to um, uh, raise points along the way uh, with the paper, uh, just uh, type in a question in the, using the Q&A function or um, the chat function, and we'll be able to uh, read those out at the end of the paper. So, um, David, if I could hand over to you. Um, thanks for, for speaking, Joseph.
0: Oh, thanks, very much for, oh, thanks very much for introducing me. Um, And also I should say um, thank you to the Long Room Hub and for the uh, Early Medieval History Research Seminar for having me, Uh, thank you to the IRC for funding this project indeed, and thank you most of all to the audience
1: for turning up
0: uh, insofar as I can see anything. Um, I should also say um, a a slight correction to uh, the title that I think was announced on some platforms, uh, as you uh, might hopefully be able to see through the slideshow, the uh, End of the title uh, brings us up to uh, year five, so roughly the end of uh, the tail end of 1796. Uh, the good news of course means that you're getting uh, even more bang for your buck, as I'm going to be covering an additional six years, and the even better news is that I'm still going to try and do so within a 35 to 40 minute window. Um, so yes, uh, today I'd like to talk to you about Claude Kloscher. Um a man of relatively humble origins, who was one of the most energetic and idiosyncratic social reformers of the revolutionary decade, and who for three tumultuous years was tasked with establishing and managing the core elements of Bordeaux's municipal poor relief programs. Uh, I should also say that this is still um, a research project in action, and uh, he's quite a tricky person to categorize in many respects. So a lot of these ideas are still being are still being taught with, and I'm very much looking forward to um, hearing um, hearing impressions at the end of this. And, um, despite uh, Clochard's remarkable influence, though, he's quite an obscure figure within the study of revolutionary poor relief. Um, even in Bordeaux, he's only begun to receive more attention since the, the 1990s, following the remarkable work of the architectural historian, Cécile Navarra, uh, built on by uh, Bernard Alamandu and Jean-Jacques Lupenec. Uh, indeed, his, his name itself has been the cause of some confusion, uh, spelt variously as Clochard with a D, Clochard with a T, or as he himself invariably gave it Clochard to Clochard. Uh, and of course, uh, he never used his first name in any f- official capacity, uh, so has often been confused with his son Pierre, who was uh, to achieve slightly greater renown as an architect. Uh, Claude, though, was a, a native of Bordeaux, born in 1752 in the sprawling parish of St. at the southern extremity of the city, the son of a marbre, or marble worker from Perigord, uh, one of the many immigrants from the Southwest drawn to Bordeaux's mid-century construction boom. He followed his father into the building trade, initially as a marble worker, but soon found employment in the workshops of various local architects. Uh, and was eventually admitted into the city's corporation of master masons and architects a year before the revolution, set about disbanding these privileged trade groups. Uh, he was married young and unhappily to uh, Marie L'Argetteau and their son, uh, named Pierre, like Claude's father, who was born five months after the wedding. The marriage broke down to such an extent that in 1788 uh, Claude had Marie committed to a refuge in Salat, citing her debauched and extravagant lifestyle. She remained there until uh, until her death five years later, following which Claude rapidly remarried to Thérèse Montaubri from a significantly wealthier family. As we shall see, the story of his career in uh, in revolutionary politics is one of unbounded optimism and qualified failure, of personal principle and political adaptability, and of one very unusual guillotine, though this features in a less terminal context than is usually the case in the biography of a French political figure from the 1790s. Uh, taken all together, I believe it provides a valuable insight into the inner functioning of institutional poor relief under the National Convention and, to a degree, the Directory, as well as a reminder that the aims and instruments of revolutionary poor relief can't be as readily separated from those of the Ancien Regime as is often imagined. Before all that, though, a few words in our setting. Uh, the fine years of the Ancien Regime found Bordeaux at the height of its prosperity, having cemented its status as the leading port in France's colonial trade. Uh, the residents of Bordeaux were keenly aware of their city's position uh, as the economic and political hub of southwestern France, and took great pride in its cultural self, uh, self-sufficiency distinct from Paris. Its Population and cost of living were springing up rapidly as the elegant merchant houses that lined the Pave des Chartres, uh, pictured here in this, uh, in this painting from the early 19th century. By 1790, uh, the city was home to 110,000 souls, an increase of almost 50% compared to its population 40 years earlier, while disgruntled residents complained that the cost of living had gone up by a third in a decade. The fragility of this prosperity, though, would be underlined by the collapse in trade during the Revolution, when the outbreak of war in 1792 severed the city from its markets in America and Europe. This threatened not only the city's economic well-being, but also its food supplies, Uh, with much of its hinterland having been given over to viticulture, Bordeaux was unusually dependent on grain imports. The irony was, of course, though, that the city's political representatives in Paris were in large part responsible for this disruption. Uh, they formed the core of the National Convention's Girondin faction, named for their home department, of which Bordeaux was the capital. Uh, and it was this faction which had pressed so enthusiastically for a war with Austria. For all this, the inhabitants of Bordeaux, though, remained broadly supportive of the revolutionary project over its first few years, uh, even as they eyed the Prisian ascendancy within the New Order with mounting concern. These concerns would prove well-founded. In June 1793, under pressure from the Paris Commune and its National Guard, the Girondin deputies were purged from the National Convention and placed under house arrest, before later being imprisoned pending trial. The radical Montagnard faction, led by the incorruptible Robespierre, was now firmly in control. Uh, for the citizens of Bordeaux, this was too much. Over the summer of 1793, Bordeaux was in a state of insurrection, joining with several other provincial French cities concerned with the growing dominance of the Parisian mob, uh, forming a loosely organised and largely ineffectual series of uprisings known as the Federalist Revolt. Bordeaux's own contribution to this revolt quickly sputtered out, the national government managing to starve the city into submission by the simple expedient of having grain convoys stopped en route. By October, the city's new uh, Montagnard Municipal Council, of which Clochard was a member, uh, was rolling out the red carpet for the representatives of the central government. These representatives on mission, as they're generally known, were deputies from the National Convention, sent in pairs to act as the eyes and ears of the central government in specific regions or armies, and in this case, granted plenipotentiary powers to bring the rebellious city to heel. While representatives on mission to other rebellious cities were to show a a ghoulishly inventive flair in this respect, with mass drownings carried out in Nantes or executions by cannon in Lyon, in Bordeaux the terror came in the more familiar guise of the military commission guillotine. It was in these turbulent circumstances that Clochard was to emerge as a leading figure in the political life of Bordeaux, but his first forays into the problems of public assistance had occurred uh, several years earlier. The causes and effects of extreme poverty and mendicity had been a topic of much concern for economic theorists and social reformers under the Ancien Regime, and much ink had been spilled, diagnosing the problem and proposing potential solutions. This reached new heights in the months preceding the meeting of the Estates General, when the loosening of royal censorship produced a flood of political tracts of all kinds. By his own account, Crochard first entered into these debates in 1788, publishing a plan for a poor relief institution uh, that he said seemed to receive some report, uh, support, but was ultimately to no effect. Uh, as we shall see, Kloshart was a staggeringly industrious self-publicist and would later produce large print runs of all his proposals in pamphlets and poster formats. So it is surprising that no copies of this initial proposal seem to have survived. And even more surprising that he first mentions it uh, seven years later. His first extant plan, however, uh, was this. Uh, a pamphlet titled, uh, The Means of uh, Impeding and Destroying Mendicity, Work Dedicated to the Friends of the Poor. By uh, Sir Clausha, architect. Uh, I particularly like the line beneath it, which I'm not sure is in, oh, whoops, which I, it, it's a post a Facebook post. Uh, if anyone has any idea what that's from, by the way, please do let me know. I haven't been able to track that down. Anyway, published uh, in the spring of 1790, this pamphlet outlined the core features of Clausha's relief project, which would remain r- remarkably constant over the coming years. From the outset, uh, he rooted his proposal in his own unvarnished sincerity cultivating a somewhat homely demeanor as proof of his modest and disinterested civic concern. As he noted in the foreword, uh, I have the honor of noting that I am not well read. I write what I think in the manner in which I conceive it. He insisted though that while his project might be riddled with grammatical errors and while others could doubtless refine his ideas, the subject itself was too worthwhile to ignore. It will be a fine thing in my decision to publish these ideas of mine can give the public the satisfaction of seeing better ones bloom. Uh, also parenthetically, from the few uh, documents that survive in his own hand, he doesn't really seem to have been uh, doesn't seem to have been lying about not being particularly well read. Even by the very fluid standards of eighteenth century orthography, he uh, he stands out as unusually creative. Um, this uh, this approach though was to structure his entire proposal. Uh, where others sought to diagnose the ills of society, Clochard lost no time in rolling up his metaphorical sleeves and tackling the most glaring manifestations of the ills of poverty. Uh, His plans were unabashedly parochial, eschewing the national potentially universal, uh, universal proposals advanced by other theorists. After a somewhat perfunctory nod to the civic discourses inaugurated by the promulgation of the Declaration of the Rights of Man and the Citizen the previous year, he very explicitly limited his own plan to our town and its environs, correctly anticipating that the town's revenues were not enough to adequately provide for its poor, Clochard proposed turning to private charity to fill this gap, optimistically proclaiming that, quote, there is not an inhabitant of this town or its faubourg, from the richest to the least well-off, who does not provide some charity in the course of the year, end quote. Uh, All that was needed, he argued, was to rationalise these individual efforts by combining them into a single municipal uh, municipal fund. Private charity would be replaced with an annual subscription, with uh, the officers of the National Guard surveying their district to learn how much each household would contribute and when they intended to do so. This information gathered, all that remained was for it to be tabulated in a register that would be provided to the municipality and allow them to know once and for all what resources were available. So far, there is nothing particularly remarkable in this beyond perhaps its Panglossian confidence. The need to collectivise and and rationalise private charity had been something of a truism in contemporary poor-relief literature and was widely taken for granted that enough resources existed to provide for the poor of France if only they were properly utilised. For many reformers, this meant a sharp rejection of the hospitals, more workhouses than medical institutions, uh, which had constituted the institutional backbone of French poor-relief for centuries, but were seen as poorly managed, disease-ridden and inherently inefficient. Yet institutional relief of uh, of just this sort is what Clochard proposed to use the money for once the National Guard officers had finished their annual shakedown. Uh, He aimed to establish four charity depots around the city spread out to provide as much geographical geographical coverage as possible while not impacting on the desirability of well-heeled neighborhoods. Indeed, Clochard anticipated that the entire regeneration of society promised by the revolution was most achievable within an institutional framework and sketched an outline of what this might look like in the context of Bordeaux, uh, envisaging a purpose-built town hall, courthouse, grain market, as well as public lavatories on every street. He also proposed relocating Bordeaux's ancient uh, hôpital Saint-André from its 16th century quarters to larger, more salubrious buildings uh, elsewhere. However, it was to his charity depots that he devoted by far the most attention and to which he would, as we will see, return over the coming years with all the dogged determination of Captain Ahab. Uh, Already in 1790, Clochard had a fair idea of how this this institution would be run, though he modestly insisted that his incredibly specific instructions were only a suggestion that he was happy to see improved upon. Pending such suggestions, uh, he proposed that each inmate was to receive one and three quarters of a pound of bread uh, and a tumbler of wine, white or red each day, along with a bowl of soup at dinner and three ounces of meat, five ounces of meat for dinner, uh, for for, 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 uh, supper. On fast days, uh, meat would be replaced with a half bowl of vegetables for dinner and a bit of fish, cod or herring that is, uh, or cheese for supper. Inmates would sleep two to a bed uh, with a pallias and mattress, uh, two sheets and a cover, while the, elder, uh, while the elderly or sick would have a smaller bed similarly outfitted but kept all for themselves. Each inmate would be provided with three shirts, three pocket handkerchiefs, three neckerchiefs, three pairs of old stockings, a jacket or, or gown for the elderly and, uh, elderly and infirm, a waistcoat and two pairs of trousers uh, along with a pair of shoes and pair of clogs. The shirts, underclothes and handkerchiefs to be changed every Sunday. These garments could also then be switched for lighter fabrics in summertime. Female inmates would take care of the laundry and darning the clothes of the male inmates. The assumption seems to be that they would be taking care of their own clothes anyway. Uh, The sick, blind and elderly uh, male inmates would pick oakum while the able-bodied would be employed in sweeping the streets and docks or turn towards other tasks that could benefit the community. And at this point, Clochar embarks on an extended aside envisaging that inmates digging canals to drain the marshland wringing the city. The reclaimed land could then be turned into gardens, which when fertilized with the uh, manure removed from the town could help uh, supplement the depot supplies. Nothing in this scheme could be allowed to go to waste. Every item needed to be turned to the public good. Clochard predicted that such a system uh, would be far too demanding a charge for municipal officers to manage themselves, so proposed appointing some men of unimpeachable character to run these systems under the watchful eye of the the municipality, and of parish committees composed of dependable family men. This latter group had a particularly important role to play, as by tying the surrounding community to the local depot, Clochard hoped to inspire the parishioners to further acts of charity. They could hold additional fundraising drives, they could meet every fortnight to think of new ways to improve the depots, they might even, should their humanitarian ardour be up to the task, be allowed to run the depot themselves. All of this, of course, would be done without any recompense beyond satisfaction at having contributed to the public well-being. Liberty, he hoped, would only intensify sentiments of fraternity. And you might perhaps be getting a sense of this proposal trailing off into uh, perhaps increasingly fantastical realms the further it enters into specifics. Uh, this it might be a recurring theme here. Um, Certainly, though, uh, this proposal doesn't seem to have gained much traction amongst Bordeaux's uh, bourgeois political establishment, uh, despite Clochard ensuring it received a wide circulation, uh, even sending it to deputies in the Constituent Assembly. A shorter summary, published in November that same year, failed to elicit a stronger reaction. For the next few years, then, uh, Clochard channeled his energies towards other areas of civic life. He was elected to the Bureau of Public Works, on which he conscientiously served for the next six years. He joined one of the city's newly established political clubs and was an active member of the assembly of his local section, uh, sections being the term for the 28 districts into which uh, Bordeaux uh, was divided, each with their own revolutionary name, his being uh, that of the Saint-Culottes. He also engaged in the quintessential pastime of the, moderately well, uh, of the moderately well-to-do during the early years of the revolution to of property speculation, and uh, spent over £63,000 purchasing former church lands. His poor relief plan, though, remained close to his heart, and talk of a municipal welfare initiative spearheaded by the city's 28 sections seems to have convinced him to take another stab at convincing his fellow citizens of the benefits of his plan. In January 1793, he published an updated uh, version of his original plan, Uh, here we are, uh, entitled uh, To the Friends of the Poor, useful observations regarding the aid and establishments that mendicity makes necessary. Uh, This again was published in both pamphlet and placard formats. It covered much the same ground as his early publications, but reflected his uh, growing education in the new political language of revolutionary government amassed over the intervening years. Thinking, he explained, to acquit the debt of every good citizen towards la patrie, uh, he had publicized his proposals for a new welfare system three years earlier, as we've seen, and had been assured by those deputies he had contacted that these matters would be taken into hand. Like many others, though, Clochard was frustrated with the legislature that prioritized legal and political reform over social programs. Let's be honest for a moment, he wrote. What does a destitute person care if this, that or the other is abolished if you you do not destroy mendicity? Do you not know that we each owe one another aid? That our first duty is to ensure that no one at any point wants for sustenance? Current efforts to care for the poor were, he argued, inadequate, aiding the poor, yes, but only adding to the underlying problems of extreme poverty. Citizens, he said, let us provide for the fate of the poor. Let us consider how to destroy mendicity, a scourge that could no longer exist among the now liberated people of France. After such a rousing preamble, it's almost jarring to see him return to his original plan largely unaltered, and he even copies certain sections word for word. A few details have changed within the broad structure. For example, fundraising and surveillance is now uh, to be carried out by the sections rather than the National Guard and parishes. The proposed bread ration is decreased by a quarter of a pound and so forth. Uh, but otherwise, the main difference in Kloshau's proposal seemed to be the language in which it was couched. Uh, this was a significant change, uh, however, and reflected a hardening of attitudes towards the poor themselves. Uh, where his 1790 plan had treated the city's poor as an undifferentiated but sympathetic group, he now began applying a moral gradation to their poverty, sifting the begging poor into four categories. Uh, Firstly, the elderly, blind, infirm, or crippled. Second, the lazy, drunks, and thieves. Uh, Third, foundlings and orphans. And fourthly, children whose parents were too poor to support them. Uh, Note that the parents of such children were not regarded as having a claim to assistance in their own right. Um, The tasks assigned to the able-bodied inmates under this regime uh, also assumed a more penal quality. Uh, Idyllic musings on transforming wasteland into uh, gardens were replaced with a far more utilitarian discussion of the conditions of release for those set to heavy labour. The depots themselves took on a noticeably more carceral quality and inmates were not allowed to leave the depot for any purpose other than work, aside from a few hours on Sunday evenings and feast days. The framing of the project had shifted too. Clochard's depots were no longer presented as part of a broader project to endow the city with essential amenities of 18th century urban life. Rather, this proposal focused narrowly on the issue of mendicity and its regulation. It also met with greater success than its predecessors. On the 14th of June, a committee of uh, section one, the descent-culottes, his own section, uh, gave these proposals a ringing endorsement Uh, This committee had been tasked with assessing the plan for a bureau de secours, a relief bureau, uh, drawn up by representatives of the city's other sections, but argued that their plan was infinitely inferior to that of Citizen Clochard, whose scheme, quote, not only proposed the means to alleviate the miseries of indigence, but also those to destroy it altogether. The saint sectional assembly clearly agreed with this assessment and lost no time in having his proposal circulated to the city's administrative bodies, the local Jacqueline club and the other 27, se- uh, uh, 27 sections. It was an inauspicious time to launch such a project, however, just a week earlier, Bordeaux had declared itself an insurrection against Paris and was at that stage desperately trying to outfit an army to deploy against it. Representatives of the national convention sent to try and resolve the situation were harassed in the street and politely but firmly ejected from the city. During this time, Clochard kept faith with the national government he was a signatory to, let, uh, to letters from the section, assuring the exiled representatives of their support, and later on announcing the section's disaffiliation from the Federalist Council. These actions solidified clochar's credentials as a budding radical and would help secure him a place on the newly purified city council, where he took a lead on issues of provisioning and welfare from an early stage. In Frýdek, for example, uh, we find him uh, drawing up reports on petitions for assisting uh, for assistance from elderly residents of the town. His thoughts, though, still turned towards his pet project. And before too long, um, he found an opening for it. On the 28th of June, earlier that year, uh, the National Convention had passed a sweeping series of welfare reforms based on the detailed reports of its own uh, Comité des Secours Public. With the Convention and its representatives preoccupied with, war, uh, with the war and rebellions then enveloping France, these provisions had received limited implementation and had obviously enough remained a dead letter in Federalist Bordeaux. In their specifics, though, they bore little resemblance to the institutionally fixated welfare package Kloschar had spent so much time touting over the past few years, quite the reverse, in fact. The law of 28th of June treated hospice-based aid more as a last resort and uh, was firmly of the view that the categories of deserving poverty they outlined should be supported by the state rather than by local charitable initiatives. Nevertheless, this law established a series of legal responsibilities on the part of national and local government, and in so doing offered a square hole into which Clochar could proceed to bash the circular peg of his own welfare plan. This he proceeded to do with, his, uh, with, uh, with this report, uh, useful observations um, uh, outlining the duties of the rich man towards the poor, and which he submitted to the municipal council, uh, I believe broadly in the final weeks of 1793, although it isn't actually dated. Uh, The document represents in many ways uh, the culmination of Crochard's political education. Once again we encounter his familiar proposal for a series of municipal institutions now named hospices in line with the language of the law 28th of June uh, that will be supported by charitable donations from the local community and administered by philanthropic volunteers. Now though this proposal is couched in a furious denunciation of the egotistical rich sure to warm the cockles of every good Montagnard heart. The town of Bordeaux, he asserted, had always been the one with the most beggars and the most rich inhabitants in the Republic. Uh, He divided its inhabitants then into three classes, the first uh, first of which being the egotistical rich, sworn enemies of the less less fortunate class, men scarcely worthy of the name given their infamous treatment of the poor. The second class was composed of the honest poor, those who through no fault of their own were unable to support themselves through their own labor. Finally then, we have the third class, um, sorry, uh sorry the third class consisting of those idle souls quote who have no other means to provide for themselves than through their vile industry that can only degrade a man. The duties of the municipality then was to say to the rich one of your most basic duties is to give aid to the poor ours is to make you fulfill this duty. Yet for all this radicalism few details of Kloscher's plans have changed. He finally envisages a role for for the municipal government assisting the sections in compiling the registers of charitable donations and he finally acknowledges the potential benefits of providing aid to some poor people in their own homes. Even then, though, this is very much a second consideration and internment was still the order of the day. Third time proved to be the charm for Clochard. In two sessions at the end of Niveau's, uh, the Municipal Council, uh, so I should have really noted this down, but I believe that puts it very much at the uh, tail end of 93. Uh, The Municipal Council adopted his proposals with great enthusiasm and an even greater degree of faith in Clochard, who was effectively given carte blanche to redraw the city's institutional relief framework. In addition to an an assurance that his new institutions would have the necessary funds, he was given a free hand when it came to hiring staff and was allowed to raid the other charitable institutions of the city for such items as might be needed to furnish these new hospices. The decision was uh, endorsed by representatives on mission, Jean Lambert Thalia and Claude Alexandre Isabeau. And at long last, Clochard could start putting his long nurtured plans into action. He already alighted on the former Benedictine Abbey of uh, Sainte-Croix in the, the southern edge of the city as a suitable site for his new hospice de bienfaisance, but also set about reforming the old institution of the hospice des incurables, as the, as the name might suggest for those people uh, with terminal illnesses or uh, generally infirm who were not expected to recover. Uh, to these he was to add another new foundation in some of the houses attached to the uh, incurables, a maternity hospital for poor women. These three hospices were together to form the, uh, the core of Clochard's personal fiefdom and provided with a remarkable example of an enthusiastic but inexperienced social reformer moving from theory to praxis. Uh, before these new institutions were complete, however, uh, Clochard had to negotiate yet another political upheaval as the overthrow of Robespierre in Paris triggered, uh, triggered a series of tremors that were soon felt in Bordeaux. Clochard was not, I suspect, a born radical, but had found Montagnard circles to be a far more congenial political space, uh, certainly when compared to the irrepressibly haute bourgeois world of Bordeaux, uh, an impression that I think Bordeaux has very much maintained over the past few uh, over the past few centuries. Uh, the upending of Bordeaux's Montagnard government, in which he'd played a small but significant role, was therefore a potentially perilous time for him. In the event, Uh, His association with Isabeau in particular uh, who was one of the longest serving representatives on mission to the region proved an asset rather than a liability. Uh, Isabeau strongly supported the Thermidorian reaction and was placed in charge of bringing the terror to an end in Bordeaux. Uh, The fact that he himself had helped put this system in place was just the sort of detail politicians across France were rapidly learning to overlook. Barely a week after the overthrow of Robespierre then, uh, Isabeau abolished Bordeaux's Bordeaux's, uh, military commission uh, which had administered the uh, the terror locally. He then set about forming a special uh, military commission to try uh, Jean-Baptiste Lacombe, the president of its terrorist predecessor. Sorry, um, on the left hand, we have, uh, we have Thalia, who was uh, one of the slightly more bloodthirsty representatives on mission to Bordeaux, uh, and uh, Lacombe there on the right. Uh, anyway, uh, sorry, he's um, established a, a special military commission to try Lacombe, uh, the president of its uh, terrorist predecessor, and Clochard served as one of the members on this new commission. This seems to have gone quite a way to smoothing Clochard's acceptance into the post-Thermidorian world, but a macabre discovery in uh, Cluvios of year three, that's say uh, early January of 1795, threatened to unearth certain skeletons that Clochard may have preferred to remain safely closeted. The city's new surveillance committee received a report of a project that had taken place near the end of the terror and seemed to be steeped in all the lurid horror of a Gilray cartoon, a four-bladed guillotine defying uh, they said, the laws of the revolution as much as those of humanity. The prototype was eventually located in a workshop tucked behind a tennis court in Chavon, and was quite a remarkable affair, a scaffold the size of a large room with trapdoors uh, designed to easily deposit the mortal remains of its victims into a hearse waiting underneath. A technically ingenious device, then, to rationalise the business of terror. When pressed the carpenters working on it, it named Clochard as, munis- as the municipal official responsible for overseeing its construction, but while he was questioned at some length, no definite action was ever taken against him. The affair seems, though, to have tainted him with the blood of the terror in the eyes of many of his fellow citizens and earned him a short entry as a uh, ensanguinaire in uh, the Livre Rouge, uh, a notorious publication of uh, Restoration Bordeaux that essentially doxxed people who had facilitated the terror in any way. Most uh, most immediately, though, the Thermidorian reaction marked the beginning of the end for Clochard's cozy relationship with Bordeaux's municipal government. and also also his tenure as administrator of the city's hospices, which would be marked with uh, numerous financial and administrative squabbles. Nevertheless, he proved himself an energetic administrator and a prodigious fundraiser and publicist, one might equally say self-publicist. He launched a barrage of uh, fundraising initiatives, targeting different districts and professions to ensure a constant influx of donations and emphasizing uh, um, emphasizing again and again, the unique nature of Bordeaux's new hospices, rooted as they were in the generosity and virtue of its citizenry. His approach was surprisingly effective. While the sums varied hugely, they occasionally outstripped the income received from the government. During the first three months of uh, year four, for example, 138,000 of the hospital's uh, 245,000 income was accounted for by charitable donations. And the bulk of the balance kept uh, coming from 100,000 grant from the central government. These were both very fickle sources of income, and the following trimester saw the government lavish 300,000 leave on the hospitals, while charitable donations dropped to barely 30,000. But for all its inconsistency, private philanthropy provided a particularly important revenue stream at a time when government spending was increasingly channeled through assignats, uh, the new paper currency that by uh, the year four was only worth about 25% of its face value in Bordeaux. Clochard sought to bolster his appeal to the residents of Bordeaux through strategic transparency. Uh, following the steps of Jacques Necker and, increasingly, of uh, the new administrative guidelines uh, being implemented in Paris, uh, he published and publicized uh, his accounts and the internal workings of of his administration. Members of the public were invited to come and examine the detailed and frequently updated internal regulations for both inmates and staff, which Clochard had published in both pamphlets and placard forms. Such an approach was not without his costs. Uh, we have one surviving receipt showing he spent 1,700 livres for a run of almost 1,000 copies of one appeal. Uh, even more extravagant was a trip to Paris, Closher undertook in uh, Germinal uh, year three, to present a glowing report of his administration's work to the national convention and seek further patronage from them. This cost in excess of uh, 7,000 livres and uh, was billed to the municipal government. This cultivation of public opinion aided his fundraising efforts, but was also a central feature of his administration. As relations with both the municipality and the department grew more strained, Kloscher opted to appeal over their heads to the national government and its representatives on mission in many cases, such as when uh, the municipal government refused to allow the hospices to buy bread at the discounted rate granted to indigent citizens. If the national government was not as readily available, or proved too limiting, however, uh, Kloscher also made it clear that he ultimately saw himself as answering only to the dictates of humanity and could only be tried in the court of public opinion. He had increasing reason to make such appeals as conflicts with local political institutions became increasingly frequent and began to feel increasingly contrived in many respects. Perhaps the best example of this is a rather remarkable letter from um, Pierre Benizek, uh, minister of the interior to the departmental administrators of the Gironde in uh, Brumaire year five. The minister noted that he had granted 100,000 livres to the Hospice uh, des Incurables de Bienfaisance, but had since been notified by their administrator, that is to say by Clochard, uh, that the department had diverted this sum to the Hospice entre. Uh, the term saint was nearly as unwelcome as that of hospital at this juncture, uh, and uh, Hospice entre was also known as the Hospice de Bienfaisance. Uh, Benizek instructed the department to rectify this and berated them for not notifying him sooner and urged them to settle on a set name to avoid any future confusion. Clochard's increasingly arrogant conduct surely can't have won him many friends among the administrators of Bordeaux's other welfare institutions, as he had always been ostentatiously scornful of anyone who managed such establishments for financial reward. In the 1790 pamphlet he singled them out for particular abuse, insisting that under his regime funds would never be used to enrich specific individuals as so often had been the case, and to uh, to the disgust of anger of so many. Who could, he said, reflect without emotion on the fortune of those who have uh, successively and before our own eyes served as concierges of various prisons in the town? What foul chicaneries have they committed upon the donations made by various sensitive and virtuous individuals for the benefit of those wretches who shiver in their chains? As administrator of hospices, he continually attacked his predecessor at the Incurable, who he claimed had embezzled significant amounts of money. Then just as a fortunate combination of national politics and local political links had brought Clochard to power in the first instance, so too these were to prove to be as undoing. On uh, second of primaire year five, let's say the tail end of November in 96, uh, following new national laws, uh, the Department of the, of the Chironde completely overhauled the administration of Bordeaux's hospices. Clochards uh, were combined with the city's foundling home and the Hôpital Saint-André Uh, but there proved to be no space for Clochard in this. First, in Germinal, let's say March 1797, when local elections returned a new conservative administrative board, strongly uh, critical of the previous administration. Uh, They commissioned Bette Bede, a doctor from the Hôpital Saint-André, to conduct a thorough survey of Clochard's uh, records, and this survey soon uncovered a great many irregularities. Sadly, too many to go into here, but uh, the accounts themselves were seen as sloppily kept, with some significant lacunae, uh, the entire report, as I say, can't really go into detail here, but perhaps the most striking discovery was that the total number of inmates in the, hospi- in the hospices was only 453, when Clochard's uh, last report had given the population 695. To Beth Bédé's astonishment, the hospital manager explained that this discrepancy resulted from the practice of adding half as many again to the number of inmates for the benefit of the, of the commune's bureau, de, uh, bureau des uh, Subsistance, so as to provide an additional half pound of bread to each inmate. Further digging established that additional portions of bread were also being set aside for the employees of the hospices and their children, uh, as well as for people, uh, from, as, as well as for suppliers from outside the hospice. Uh, but Bede was outraged at this careless approach. What vast amount of bread has been diverted from its true purpose since the formation of this institution, he wondered. And at such a time, such a time when the inhabitants of this commune barely receive half a pound of bread from their own sections, and when well off citizens have to expend great sums of cash to provide for their families bread at this stage was so precious that one did not need a large amount of it to obtain a great many services, he uh, pointed out. Closha responded to these accusations in a similarly lengthy memoir in which he insisted that he had always acted in the best interests of humanity. He also returned to his favourite self-representation as a simple man without the wit to carry out fraud or speculation on the scale intimated. Uh, This, I think, does seem perhaps quite a disingenuous claim, again when we bear in mind uh, the ease with which he entered into the whole business of property speculation earlier on in the revolution. When the department finally came to rule on this matter a year later, they seemed to have agreed broadly that Closha's sins had been committed in good faith, but still could not pardon the waste of public resources he had overseen, and held him liable for the sums still owed to suppliers. Thereafter, while Clochard remained a member of the Municipal Council for a few more years, he played a much more limited role in local life and doesn't seem to have enjoyed much professional success in his remaining years. Uh, He declared bankrupt in 1816 and died five years later with his debts outweighing his remaining assets such that his eldest son refused to accept his inheritance. In conclusion, just a few points to draw together, um, how can we understand Clochard and his project? Despite his relatively prolific output, he's received quite limited attention. As far as I'm aware, Alan Forrest is the only Anglophone historian to have paid much attention to his career. And even then he only touches upon it briefly in his magisterial studies of uh, poverty and the Southwest during the revolution. Uh, Forrest seems to be uh, mostly aware of Clochar's activity under the convention and focuses in particular on his uh, 1793, uh, *Observation Utile*, uh, which he cites as illustrative of uh, a new concern for the welfare of the poor. Uh, Clochar's ideas are presented as at one and the same time on original derivatives of the 18th century's prevailing orthodoxies, but also dominated, uh, quote, like so much Jack had been thinking on poverty by a burning desire for justice, end quote. Clochard's institutional fixation was certainly out of step with the intellectual climate of revolutionary France, but I'm not sure that we can describe it as marked by Jack in um, egalitarian concerns to any great degree. There's something of the political chameleon about Clochard, or perhaps more accurately a hermit crab trying on different ideological shells for his uh, favorite relief project. The only noticeably consistent points in his proposals, beyond a firm belief that the poor should receive no less than a pound and a half of bread a day, is a limited faith in the state as a tool of social action and an unswerving belief in the need for enclosures to care for the poor as well as to control them. These are perhaps staggeringly unrevolutionary views. Uh, St. Vincent de Paul and two centuries worth of hospital administrators would have found little to disagree with here. And it's really quite easy, I suppose, to imagine Clochard finding these pre existing systems and the greater latitude they afforded for individual administrative initiative much more congenial. But the fact remains that Clochard was an enthusiastic participant in the revolution and convinced some of its most radical adherents of the virtues of his approach. Let's not forget that when he uh, obtained the buy in of his section to his proposal, this was in direct opposition to a proposal. Uh, Placing these same charitable resources under the direct control of the uh, of the sections, and to be spent on outdoor relief projects, which were con- which are conventionally understood as much more uh, much more uh, suitable, or much more approved within the revolutionary uh, canon of uh, social policy. Um, If there is any broader point to take from Klasov's career then, it's perhaps the extent to which it highlights the enduring appeal of the hospital, of the the grand renfermement, during the most radical phase of the revolution. And also, it highlights the degree to which this approach uh, could be shown to be compatible with revolutionary discourses of individual rights and civic solidarity, and might perhaps cause us to reconsider what we understand to be radical within all of this. Uh, there is, I think, a slightly lengthier section, but at that stage I feel I'll end up running on for much too long, so I think this might be a good point to uh, draw this to a close and see if anybody, if, if anyone has any questions or comments, I would be very happy to uh, take those now.
1: Thank you. <laughs> okay, David, thanks very much for that um, very thorough review of uh, Pasha's career. Um, I'm sure that'll provoke a number of questions. Do you want to um, close your PowerPoint? Uh, yeah, yes. great. Thanks. And um, I'll set the uh, set the ball rolling um, while people are putting in their questions. Um, you mentioned he's a uh, he's a, a political chameleon, or, or, or better yet, a hermit crab trying on these different guises. And I was just one of the things that's most striking about him is his ability to negotiate a whole sequence of. Very different regimes and uh, uh until he comes a cropper under the directory and i was just wondering if you could account for that ability because particularly as in your summary at the end a lot of what he's thinking seems to run very contrary to standard fair revolutionary ideas about social reform and uh so you know he's running against the tide or he's going against the tide but he, he still manages to remain in, in quite an influential position for, for much of the, the most radical phase of the revolution.
0: Yeah, I, I I think perhaps the reason that he was so successful for that is that I think the main area in which he ended up running against the tide was in his continued um, perception as, um, as a creature of the Montagnard government. Uh, his actual Proposals themselves, I think, were much more warmly received, um, and I think very much. And, and I think this is why his career is so fascinating. It really illustrates the the gulf that exists between the preoccupations of um, of so many uh, economists and social reformers uh, in the run up to the revolution and during and during it, uh, with moving away from the the institutional based model of relief. Uh, and the fact that this still seems to have been, what, an awful lot of um, very politically active French people still instinctively uh, turned to or viewed as the most effective way of meeting the needs of their society. Um, it's quite striking that these, for example, the cahiers de Doléance of Bordeaux, don't really make much uh, criticism of their hospitals. The main thing they call for is to um, Expand their is to expand their funding, perhaps to re- relocate them. Uh, and in a sense, I think it was probably Bordeaux was relatively well served uh, by its uh, by its hospitals. Uh, you know, it also had some fairly uh, some fairly, I suppose, innovative institutions like the um, the Midwifery School and the uh, the Hospital for uh, uh, Deaf Mutes that was established. Uh, both of which established um, a few years before the Revolution, but. Um, even if you look at a lot of the reforms then for perhaps more radical changes during the revolution, a lot of these were still very much fixated on establishing new forms of institutions for the poor. So in that sense, I don't think that he was really swimming against the tide as much as we might immediately assume if we just look at the um, at the publications of social reforms. I think it's one of the cases of mistaking the um, sound of the London coffee house for the voice of the nation. Mm.
1: Um, okay. Well, following on from that, is there a particular inflection to the local local circumstances that you think um, mean you you outline some of the particular circumstances of uh, that pertain to Bordeaux at the start and I I wonder is 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 this willingness to 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 entertain his proposals? um, Is that how far is that? Is that reflected in that in that local circumstances? I mean presumably this is a city where there are very significant numbers of the poor because they're gravitating towards it. This is a prosperous center. So um, what is it specifically about Bordeaux that makes this such a a fertile ground for those quite traditional views?
0: Actually, there was a, so that's a fantastic question. And there is a particular internal memoir that I was trying to find when I was writing this and uh, couldn't couldn't see it in time. Um, I believe, on the part of the department observing that the location of bordeaux and the nature of uh, the agricultural activity in its surrounding area so but the, the location of bordeaux i mean uh, it's uh the fact that it was a major uh, a port a trade entrepôt you know so it has um it has people being swept in from across France, from across across the world, in many cases, uh, along with the fact that it is serving as a a magnet for so many people from uh, the surrounding countries to move there, um, meant that it was um, uniquely dependent on uh, having institutions like hospitals. I don't entirely buy the internal logic of this argument, but it certainly seems to be something that um, the local government very firmly believes, they had such an endemic problem with poverty and also a problem with poverty that couldn't as in so many other cases be um offloaded onto uh local supports like the uh you know uh, like family and neighbors with such a dislocated population that this could only be adequately dealt with uh through more institutional means
1: okay fair enough um uh, presumably um as a major major commercial center one of the issues that they must be facing is a lot of um a lot of people not just coming in from the hinterland but coming in from uh from abroad um is that is that a particular problem in, in bordeaux um is that and is that something as well that maybe adds to this willingness to entertain a, a policy that emphasizes containment rather than than outdoor relief
0: Yes, I, I, as I say, I strongly suspect that is a factor, and certainly something that, um, that the administrator seemed to think was a factor. It's kind of hard to say precisely how prominently um, how prominently foreigners featured amongst the poor of Bordeaux. I mean, I suppose in part it's because, as <laughs> has to be established, uh, some of the internal. Um, Movement records within the institutions were not always very rigorously kept, um, but when we do have more dependable records, and interestingly, actually, after um, after uh, after clochar's uh, uh, very public um, uh, very public um, trial, I suppose um, there is, I think, an increased emphasis on the part of uh, the administrators of Bordeaux's hospices to maintain more detailed records. So, by the end of the decade, we have. Um, a, a couple of years worth of fantastically uh, detailed records on the part of, say, the Depot de Mondicite. Um, it is interesting that there aren't actually that many foreigners there. You could um, draw a fantastic map of all of uh, the regions, I suppose, in the southwest of France in particular, that, that depended uh, economically on Bordeaux with the list of inmates, but there are only a tiny smattering of essentially I think sailors who got left behind when their ships left port or uh, perhaps got stranded there during the effects of the the Royal Navy's blockade. Um, So I'm not sure whether it's just that such people didn't make their way into these institutions and were cared for or dealt with in some other way or for whatever reason they just don't seem to feature quite as prominently as you would expect. I think also that whilst there were quite sizable immigrant populations in Bordeaux uh, and it is actually really fascinating, just the sheer number of Irish people you've encountered there during this period. Uh, but by and large, they tended to be better off on average than, um, uh, better off than the average uh, resident of Bordeaux. So perhaps we're less in need of these of these facilities.
1: Okay, thanks very much. I've got a question here from Cahal O'Leary, who um, asked about Clochar's uh, original pamphlets and he wants to know were so many proposals like this uh, on poverty published at the time that a glutton, <laughs> like, the initial indifference of work as ideas considered particularly uninspiring that is
0: uh <laughs> yeah so the, 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 there was it, it was certainly a um would say it was quite a tough market to uh, get your ideas out in i um there is a sense, I suppose, in which the early years of the revolution feel a little bit like that um, like that scene in Monty Python where in, in Monty Python's life of Brian, where you just have you, you know, your range of profits offering a whole host of different diagnoses for all the ills of society. Uh, so in that sense, yes, it's probably harder to stand out then. And I think one of the things that really makes him in, in the long run so successful is his sheer bloody-minded perseverance and self-confidence. Um were they particularly uninspiring? I mean there were certainly more ill-conceived ones out there. Uh, I think that he himself was probably not the most appealing person for a lot of the conventional uh, municipal office holders in Bordeaux. Uh, You know, he'd he'd come from a fairly from, 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 he was fairly humble origins. Uh, He'd only secured the, I suppose, the seal of social approval of uh, admission into the corporation of uh, architects shortly before the revolution and had done so in slightly unorthodox circumstances uh, in that he had been, he participated in um, a a fascinatingly um, ambitious and unsuccessful um, public grain house slash mill uh, that had, been the darling of some of the municipal officials uh, who'd said okay you don't need to bother with your um with your uh, series of uh, technically involved um studies as part of your uh, application for the mastership uh so a lot within his own corporation already i think sort of viewed him as a bit of um a bit of a parvenu a bit of an outside imposition, position and i don't think those sorts of attitudes necessarily helped him during the early phase of the revolution when um local politics in Bordeaux was still very much dominated by uh, the more traditional mercantile legal elites, so forth. So a mixture of those factors.
1: Yeah. Um, on that, I mean, it, in looking at the, the the sort of pamphlet literature that's generated on, on this question, particularly in the early revolution, um, is there any sense that he, he's being read outside of the locality, or his idea, does his name crop up uh, in national debates at all um, at this early stage? Or is this, yeah, is this just one of these, as as Carl's question suggests, uh, part of this this enormous glut of publication and schemes of varying degrees of crackpottedness uh, that are circulating in eighty nine and ninety and? <clears throat>
0: Um, no, this, I, I haven't seen the slightest indication that anyone outside Bordeaux was remotely concerned. With it. And I don't think that he particularly cared. He very much made it clear that whilst there was some perhaps vague connection between whatever was taking place at national an level and between the ideas that he was proposing, he didn't hugely care. All of them were very, very much focused on Bordeaux. He spends a lot more time talking about the precise areas where you can locate these institutions. And even in some cases, indicating you know, it very much read like someone who was very familiar with um, the construction trade and local real estate in Bordeaux. So uh, he
1: spends much more time on that than he he's does. Acquired um, enough of it, uh, pardon? He's acquired enough of that local real estate. So.
0: Well, I, in, in fairness, uh, I think like thousand bucks, about still is a fairly small scale speculator in this case. But yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, so yeah, he's 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 very much focused on this. He does. Take some efforts to um interest some of the uh some of the region's national representatives but doesn't really i think doesn't really see this as a way to expanding his ideas more broadly purely because he doesn't really have ideas to expand that much more broadly um, mm-hmm. I think the closest he comes is uh, during his visit to the National Convention uh, where he spoke of the first of Germinal year three Uh, and he was immensely proud of this. He mentions this in a lot of his uh, later texts and it's something that comes up a lot during his self-defense talking I think just about you know the the honor that was done to him and I think by extension to Bordeaux by having him there to address them on these on these weighty issues but whilst I think these sorts of things probably fatted his ego they weren't a major concern and I doubt there was much in his proposal that would interest anybody beyond Bordeaux. Okay. Um, I
1: think probably we could, uh, we should we shouldn't um, we shouldn't detain you any further but I have one final question that is that his final disgrace. Um, you, you, you sort of suggested that this was a case of sloppy account keeping and um, um, I mean, he's been hanging around with some fairly, I mean, Isabeau and Talion are not exactly <laughs> exemplars of moral probity when it comes to their personal finances. They're both fairly well renowned for, for, for creaming off, Money pretty pretty extensively, and I, I wonder: is there a possibility that he's he's got his his, uh, his nose in the trough as well, or is this is it just a case of he he's just not a very good administrator and he 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 makes bags of the accounts? Uh, I think for the most part he's just very very inept
0: at a lot of the um, more quotidian elements of the administration. Um, and in Venice, I also think it's not it's not just his fault actually that there's a very he, he keeps meticulous receipts for these things, even though they aren't always very well entered. And I think it's more that he is—he's not too concerned with the business of accounting, uh, as he is with trying to make sure the hospital runs smoothly. And if those two things don't always meet up, he very happily, you know, ignores the ignores the demands of contabilité. Uh, he, he was also in the slightly unusual position of having all of his having all of the institutional accounting done for him by the municipality. At a point when the municipality was changing a lot of officials over, and so it was going from a situation of people being perhaps a little bit to uh, slapdash with it to people not really being aware of what the deal was between the uh, the bureau, of the Zospis and uh, the municipality. So I, th- I think some things also fell through institutional cracks. There, there were though some. Uh, th- 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 there was one particularly amusing um, rumor that was going around um, shortly after the, the Thermidorian reaction. Um, where whereby a uh, particular collection was supposedly used to pay for uh, a civic banquet uh, that was attended by a lot of municipal officials as well as the representative on mission uh, and uh, for, 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 for the for the uh, final sans uh, of of the previous year and uh, this seems to cause such a scandal as well that you know the, the mayor, um, had to you know, issue a public announcement about it and sort of uh, promise uh, that all of the accounts for these things would be thoroughly published, and that doesn't seem to have actually been a scandal. I think there was perhaps a greater suspicion of such scandals than necessarily evidence for them. At least when it came to Clocher, there were absolutely um, more solid cases of uh, large-scale embezzlement within the municipal government of Bordeaux. I it, it's it's hard it's hard to adjudicate this from this vantage point, but. I can certainly see where the department was coming from in, uh, in, in viewing that he was perhaps more uh, incompetent than malign in that respect.
1: Okay. Fair enough. Well, listen, yeah. thanks very much, David, for that, and thanks Thank very much for having me. Um, next week's seminar will be um, uh, delivered by, uh, on the 8th, uh, by Dr. Leanne Calvert of uh, the University of Hertfordshire who will be speaking on the subject of I am a man and a minister regulating ministerial misbehavior in the Atlantic world 1770, sorry 1717 to 1830. So I have hope some of you will be able to make it the along there. Meantime, thanks once again to, to David for that. Uh. The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book and print cultures. Stamping provenance Languages towards a history the history of the Year Library. As well as being haired. The Hub, the hub is, is a space. Contemplating Ireland through the communities created by Language Language The Hub is about impact. The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. The rise of okay. feminist roots. Okay. Here's to the next ten years.